0: Please stand, if you are able, for a reading from God's holy word. Today's scripture reading is from John 13, 1 through 16. Please read with me the verses in bold. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were here in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it, into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Well, good morning, all. My name is Brad. Am I on? Can you hear me? Welcome. Happy Palm Sunday. I want to add my welcome to others uh, that you have received. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace, and if you're joining us for the first time or, uh, or logging in to the live stream for the first time, we're so glad that you can be with us this morning. We have been in a 40 day season of anticipation. Uh, we've been waiting for this week to come, the, the week in which. Jesus's ministry on earth and his mission culminates in his uh, sacrificial death on our behalf. And so um, it is with anticipation. Um, it's with both eagerness and, 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 and solemnity. Is that the word? We're serious. This is a big week. And so uh, we begin on Palm Sunday. I like to I tend to like the kind of story that unfolds in dramatic form. Sometimes you're in the middle of the story and you don't quite know what's going on. You don't see how things fit together. But then afterwards, when everything has transpired, you look back and you see how all of the clues were dropped along the way and how everything makes sense now that the story has concluded. Uh, so much so that maybe it makes you want to go back and read the book again and look for the clues or go back and watch the movie again and say, oh, now I see what was going on. That may be why I like Jesus' parables so much. I, Jesus was a storyteller and he liked to create these stories and often I imagine people were with him and with each other looking at, looking at one another saying, What is he talking about? Why is he telling stories about buried treasure? Why is he telling stories about lost sheep? Why does he keep talking about a wedding banquet? And then so often, like uh, in places in Matthew 13 and Matthew 15 and Mark chapter 4, we learn that his disciples gather around him afterwards and say, explain that parable to us. And then Jesus would go on to show them what he was talking about and how things fit together. Why the kingdom of God is like a buried treasure. Many commentators uh, look at the, the Passion Week and see that uh, with the triumphal entry, which we celebrate today, Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a donkey and with the Passover supper that Jesus celebrated with his followers on Thursday evening... Many commentators look at that and they actually think that Jesus was turning that form inside out, that he was attempting to explain for his followers what was about to happen. He was trying to lay out for them some explanation so that when they woke up on Saturday morning and he had been crucified and died, they might be able to have something to hold on to, some explanation. He was taking time to carefully explain the story and the events that were about to unfold over the next few days, a betrayal, a trial, an execution, and a burial. In fact, several of the Gospels say that he said again and again, the Son of Man is going to need to be betrayed and die and rise again. He wanted his followers to understand that what they were experiencing was part of the plan. He wanted them to have something to hold on to as they waited to see if, in fact, what he said would come to pass would actually happen. In our passage today, in this uh, famous upper room event where Jesus washes his disciples' feet, he says to Peter in verse 7 He says, What I'm doing, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward, You'll understand. You're going to look back at this and have some clue about what I was trying to explain to you. And he's already begun that on Palm Sunday. Instead of riding into town as a victorious king, remember we were waving, the kids were waving palms and saying, Hosanna, which was save us, king of Israel. But instead of riding into town on a conquering war steed, Jesus rides in on a servant's donkey. He's already trying to explain the kind of Savior that he is and that he's going to be. And then a short time later, we come upon the passage that we read this morning in John chapter 13. And John 13 tells us that he took this moment to show his disciples the full extent of his love. Later in Philippians, we'll be told that the one who was in very nature God took on the very nature of a servant. And at the end of our passage, Jesus says to his followers, you also should do as I have done to you. Our series this Lent has been on spiritual disciplines. We've been looking at these different practices that Christians have practiced over the centuries and, uh, and wondered at... Uh, what, what does it mean to exercise our faith in ways like living simply, in ways like giving, in ways like fasting and praying? How does that uh, draw us closer to knowing Christ? And I don't think you need much more of an explanation or a justification for calling servanthood a spiritual discipline than Jesus saying in verse 7, what I am doing, you should do also. Also. Do what I do. Jesus calls his followers to follow in the way that he serves them. If you engage the events of the passion at all in the next couple of days, if you uh, pay attention as Jesus is betrayed, as he is crucified, if you pay attention in any way, you will come. You'll come away with the un, the unmistakable impression that. God wants to communicate to us that the salvation that he wants to bring his people comes through the humble love of a servant king. That the salvation he's bringing is not through a violent revolution. That he didn't come to to lead a populist uprising, although maybe many of the people shaking palms on this Sunday morning thought that's what was about to happen. They said, oh, the revolution is here. But here in John chapter 13, Jesus demonstrates to his followers what humble love in action looks like. And humble love in action is service. This morning, a few minutes in John 13, I want to look at service, the full extent of love. Secondly, people who are hard to serve. And third, the purpose of service. Service, which is the full extent of love, people that are hard to serve, and the purpose of service. So first, service, the full extent of love. You've been in this situation before. I'll describe one instance. Dinner's over. It's been delicious. It was a four-course meal, and now somebody needs to, do, to get up from the table and do the dishes. And while there's lively and friendly banter happening on the surface of the gathering, what's actually happening is an unspoken, silent contest to let somebody else volunteer to do the dishes before you have to. To let somebody else get up and serve so that you don't have to miss the ball game that's on TV or whatever else is going to happen after dinner. Or maybe it's a contest contest to uh, avoid cleaning up because you already helped make dinner so you shouldn't have to be on the cleanup crew or maybe you shouldn't have to clean up just because darn it you're the dad and you put the food on the table somebody else ought to clean up well that's the kind of moment that's happening in the upper room described in john 13 jesus and his followers are gathering for this festive meal the passover meal which cannot start until everybody has their feet washed. That's the rule. you got to have your feet washed before Passover starts. But there's no host. They're going to meet in a borrowed room. There's no hired servants. And so they're lingering before the Passover meal, and it's a silent contest because nobody wants to do it. Nobody wants to wash each other's feet. Nobody wants to take the chance of losing a good seat at the table, getting to sit next to Jesus who's the the guest of honor. Besides, washing feet is a servant's job. They somebody should get a kid or uh somebody should somebody should get a slave to come in here and wash people's feet. And so while the disciples are in the middle of this silent standoff to see who is the greatest and who is the least, we're told that Jesus laid aside his outer garments and took a towel and tied it around his waist and then he poured water in a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And the translation that we read says that having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. But it's a difficult little phrase to translate. A better way to say it might be that In this act of service, he showed them the full extent of his love. He said, this is what humble love looks like. And it looks like service. While we we sometimes hear a story like this and we say to ourselves, "This, this is the moment when Jesus, who was God himself, disguised himself as a servant... Jesus, and the Gospel of John wants us to realize that Jesus is actually doing just the opposite. He is not disguising who God is. He is actually revealing who God is. This is the very nature of God. God is love, and humble love in action is service. The story that we read is not a story of Jesus presenting himself as the foot-washing expert. He says, look, you guys better sit down and let me do this. I don't want you to mess up somebody's cuticles, right? I I got this. We like being an expert. We like the chance to serve when we can show that, you know, we got this. I I studied this in college. Uh, But that's not really humble love in action. That's about me. I'm the foot-washing pro, And Jesus has no end in mind. He's not washing feet to earn himself the best place at the table. He's already the guest of honor. Wherever he sits is going to be the head of the table. He's not trying to posture to get something for himself or make himself look good. We like serving when we got an angle, when it's going to put us in a position to get something. But that's not really humble love and action. That's about me. The primary reason that Jesus calls us to serve is not because other people need what we can do for them, although that they might. Uh, in, In fact, certainly people need our help. And the primary reason that Jesus calls his followers to serve is not because there are problems in the world that God doesn't have any way of solving without us, although God chooses to use his servants to accomplish his means. The primary reason Jesus calls us to service is because of what happens in us when we serve. Service, becoming a servant, is an exercise in humility. Not false humility like, oh shucks, you're right, I shouldn't have. Not thinking less of ourselves, that's not true humility, but actually thinking about ourselves less and about what others need more. We are, when we serve, reminded of our own needs. We're reminded of our own weakness. And let's be honest, we are so easily full of ourselves. We, are, we live our lives in our own defense. We are we are constantly thinking about ourselves and we need to get into the practice of constantly being reminded and constantly reminding ourselves that we were helpless, that there was nothing that we could do to save ourselves. No effort of ours could make things right between us and God. We were, the scripture tells us that we were helpless and in need of a savior who would come and wash us clean. And that's what Christ came to do. He came to serve and to save with his act of incredible, humble love on the cross. Somebody I read this week was describing this upper room and the moment uh, when Jesus washed his disciples' feet. And this writer said that everybody in the upper room had a Messiah complex except one person. And that guy was the Messiah, Everybody else thought they were the man. Service reminds me that I'm not the Savior, that I need a Savior. Here's a a few unexpected exercises in humility that you might consider. Disciplines, right? So a discipline is just practicing something until you get it. And so the, the spiritual discipline of being a servant is... Uh, practicing humble love until it becomes your instinctive response. Three ideas. First, make room for the mundane. Have you, have you ever stopped to consider how fixated we are on doing things, only the important stuff? I only do important things. I, we, we spend our downtime wondering about what next fun thing we're going to do or worrying that if we're not doing anything, we're missing something. But what are the foot-washing opportunities in our lives? This is a mundane task that nobody wanted. Where can you uh, serve often and serve well and serve out of sight? Is there mundaneness that you can embrace? The midnight diaper changing, can you claim that? The garbage duty, the toilet scrubbing. Embrace some mundaneness in your life for the purpose of practicing and getting in some repetition in opportunities to serve that come often so that you can do things out of sight and out of other people's attention so that maybe you'll get into the practice of serving out of humble love naturally when the opportunity comes along and presents itself. Here's another suggestion. Be interruptible. Pay attention when you're interrupted. I know because people that I love have told me more than once that sometimes even when I'm physically serving, I'm doing the activity that I've been asked to do to give a hand, I'm giving off the impression that what I was doing before or what I'd rather be doing is way more important than this thing that they've asked me to do. The thing that I have planned is the most important thing. And so even though I'm getting a task done, I'm giving the impression that what I'm doing is not important and neither is the person that I'm helping. It doesn't say so in the text, but I'm pretty confident Jesus didn't have his eyes rolled while he was washing the disciples' feet. One more idea. Close your mouth. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a a great thinker and, uh, and, and faithful Christian during the Holocaust, once said, It must be a decisive rule of every Christian fellowship that each individual refrain from saying much of what occurs to him. How many opportunities to love and serve have we avoided or spoiled by sharing our opinions rather than helping. So, service as humble love in action. But the question is, what about people who are hard to serve? Olivia, my wife, gave me permission to share this story. The story is about how she and her younger sister, uh, Larissa, used to share a bed. And every night they would agree to rub each other's backs before they fell to sleep. Every night, first, Larissa would go first and rub Olivia's back. And every night, Olivia would accidentally fall asleep while her sister rubbed her back and be unable to return the favor. Every night. The question is, if I'm a servant... Aren't people just going to take advantage of me, right? If I, just have, if I just walk around doing acts of humble love, I'm going to be a doormat. Here's the second verse of our passage this morning. The story says that during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, it says that Jesus got up and washed Judas' feet. Verse 11 says that Jesus knew what Judas was up to. It says he knew who was going to betray him. Why does Jesus wash Judas's feet even though he knows that Judas is going to take advantage of him? Let me tell you, this is a whole lot more serious than stealing a back rub, right? Judas is going to betray him to his death. I think Jesus does this for two reasons, or he can do this because of two reasons. First, Jesus' identity is not wrapped up in whether or not a really good foot bath is going to change Judas's heart. His identity is secure in God, his Father. He knows who he is. Verse 3 says that Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God, was going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, and began to wash the disciples' feet. This was not about who he was. This was about demonstrating humble love in action. So first, he knew his identity was not involved or wrapped up. His identity was secure in who God was and who God said that he was. And second, he can do this because uh, because his identity is secure, he's able to demonstrate to his followers and for us the difference between choosing to serve and being a servant we can choose to serve we can choose to provide an act or do a task to meet a need for someone else but as long as we keep control of choosing whether or not to do it as long as we're in control of being the service provider that's different from being a servant providing a servant is not always an providing a service is not always an act of humble love when we choose to serve we do not we do not always give away control right when you're on hold trying to get a hold of somebody at your cell phone service provider what they do for you is that out of an act of humble love Well, you wait for 15 minutes are they being clear about who is in charge they're in charge the service provider will they call the shots right it's not Uh, there's a difference between that and being a servant. When we choose to serve, we worry about being taken advantage of, we worry about being used. Essentially, uh, we worry that someone else will take charge of the situation because we've decided to serve instead of being in charge. It's not fair. We're the ones that decided to serve in the first place. You should let the outcome be determined by me. But when we become a servant, we give up that right to be in charge. And there's great freedom in that. Suddenly this is just about providing for this person, showing them love, meeting a need. We just serve and we let God worry about the results. That—that That is a motivation that can't be manipulated. It can't be used against me because I've already given up the right to be in charge. And that's what we're told was the theme, not only of Jesus' foot washing, but actually of his entire mission on earth. In John chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus says, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it back up again. We do not serve a Savior who was a martyr who got into a situation that was out of his control. He came and He made Himself a servant and gave His life for us. It's not an uncommon observation that uh, to, to note that the first person to sign up to get on the meal train and make a meal for somebody else is often the least likely person to tell you if they're sick and in need of help, Right? You know, they're, they're the first at the doorstep to help somebody else, but if they're overwhelmed, if they need dinner, they'll never come around and say, can you help me? That may be true of you, it's certainly true of me, that it's much easier for me to say, I'm happy to serve others, but I feel uncomfortable accepting help when somebody else offers to help me. I bet we can all uh, think, and maybe you already have a picture of somebody, a loved one, a close friend in your mind who has, man, they have taken care of you in the the worst of times, but darn it if they don't make it difficult or near impossible to help them, right? In verse 8, Peter says to Jesus, you shall never wash my feet. Peter is refusing Jesus' help, and that can be taken, I think, on the surface maybe as a a humble response. I I could never let you do that, but most of the time, refusing help is, is just a thinly veiled pride, right? There's a pinch of, are you saying you don't think I can do this by myself? And there's a pinch of Uh, in Peter's case, being offended, right? He's got an idea of roles and authority and of what being in charge means. And Jesus is in charge, and he's Jesus' right-hand man, so what does it say about me if Jesus is a foot washer? Some of us desperately need to learn, along with Peter, that there is a service to allowing other people to serve you, that actually letting someone serve you is a practice of humble love it's humbling to let somebody else do something for you that you could do yourself it's humbling to let somebody else do something for you that you think is below them but they want to do for you but we have to learn this we have to learn this if we're going to follow jesus because this is jesus's purpose this is what he wants to communicate to us about the purpose of service In verse 7, Jesus says to Peter, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. It's hard to decide when you read this passage which is more important. Jesus' literal demonstration, I think there's just a literal application of this passage. Jesus says, I'm serving, look at this menial task that I'm doing, do as I do, become a servant. And that's an incredibly important application of this passage, but... uh, He also also wants us to see the incredible theological significance of this whole thing. He is certainly talking about doing menial tasks, but to be sure, when Jesus responds to Peter and says, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me, he is not talking about Peter getting his feet clean for dinner. To be sure, from God's perspective, you and I are hard to serve. We take advantage of His grace. We, we cheapen His mercy in our lives and His forgiveness. We use our freedom to betray Him and make ourselves our own masters and do what we want again and again and again. And we're full of ourselves. We refuse to go to Him for help or allow Him to be a Savior, we are constantly trying to do things our own way. But Jesus says, unless you let me wash you, you can have no part with me. Unless you let Jesus take away your sin unless you have been washed clean by his sacrifice, which he is trying to foreshadow for his disciples on this moment in the upper room, he says, unless you let me wash away your sin, you can have no part with me. And the language that he's using there, that having no part with him, is the language of inheritance and of membership. And what he's saying is that if we insist that we do not need God's help, if we insist that we do not need a Savior, if we refuse to accept christ's offer to wash us with his blood then we can expect to receive no inheritance from god that we should not expect to be counted belonging to the people of god and yet uh, the offer that christ makes is uh, for each of us for each of us he says like he said to peter let me wash you And unless you let me wash you, you can have no share with me.